Welcome back to Awakening Reformation, where Reformation awakens now. My name is Grant, and joined with me is my beautiful wife, Erica, the weaker vessel. Hello, everyone. If you would like to find out more about Awakening Reformation podcast, we are proud members of the Rebel Alliance Media, so go to rebelalliancemedia.com to find out more. Yeah, there's all kinds of awesome blogs, and there are two different podcasts uh, beside the one that you're listening to currently. And there's also a cultural video that's put out typically on Fridays, I think. Yep. And that's really good stuff, too. There's teaching series on the website, and there's a donate button. So if you guys just feel so inclined in your hearts, go ahead and donate. There's all kinds of good stuff. Check it all out. Um, we are in the middle of a series on the Munis Triplex, which is the threefold office of Jesus. So Jesus fulfilled the offices of prophet, priest, and king. And the last two episodes we covered prophet and priest. And so tonight we are going to cover Jesus is king. That's right. So to begin, we're going to talk about what dynasty Jesus came from. What kingly line is Jesus fulfilling? Where do we see Israel first asking God for a king, for a leader. So in the beginning of 1 Samuel, the people ask Samuel, the prophet, for a king. They say, we want a king so that we can be like the other nations. Mm. Samuel is ridiculously upset and God tells him, don't worry, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. And God had put provisions and rules for kings in the law. So it wasn't the fact that they were asking for a king, it was the fact that they wanted a king on their own terms, mm-hmm. and they wanted to be like other nations. They didn't want God they to They didn't want to be them. separate or distinctive from the other right. nations surrounding them. Right. Well, King Saul is who they pick, and he's an utter disaster. Yep. I'm actually going through for Samuel, my personal Bible reading right now, and it's terrible. But God chooses a king. He chooses David and anoints him king and then promises in 2 Samuel 7 to establish David's throne in Israel, in Jerusalem, forever. And then the prophets... And we refer to that as the Davidic covenant. Right. That's the Davidic covenant Mm -hmm. of the Davidic dynasty. That there would be a descendant of David on the throne forever. Exactly. Yep. And... When Israel went into captivity and they no longer had their own nation, Mm -hmm. the prophets began to prophesy about a future king that was going to come from the line of David and reestablish the nation and reestablish his throne. There are many psalms that David wrote about this future grand kingdom, and we're going to get into some of that. Yep. But this is what, this is the kingship we'd say Jesus is fulfilling right now. Yep. I think there's a distinction to be made when we talk about kingship. Mm Mm-hmm. Some of us, especially Americans, don't understand how monarchy works necessarily. We don't like it. Yeah. (laughs) Because we're American. Um, But there there is a distinction to be made, and the kingship does have varying roles within the title king, within the role as king. The rebels understand monarchy, though. (laughs) We are rebels. But we're not from Canada. Are we honorary Canadians? I don't know. P-Nate and Vanilla and Ben and Andrew, let us know. If we qualify. And Dave. Let's not forget about Dave. That's very true. That's very true. Poor Dave. Everyone forgets Dave. I didn't. The magic button. Yeah, you didn't. 
You're thoughtful like that. You my man, Dave. <laughs> Let us know if we can officially be honorary Canadians. You know how, like, if you do something really cool for a city, that sometimes the mayor will give you, like, a key to the yep. city? Uh-huh. Maybe we could get a key to Canada. Or maybe just whatever <laughs> little city they're at. <laughs> a key to Canada. That's huge. Closer. Yeah, we have quickly digressed yep. here. All right, so back on track. Okay. So we have some distinctions within a kingship. Yeah, well, the first one is about. political. Okay. There's definitely a political aspect to the kingship right. in, the, in the sense of um, like conquering and having uh, like a military mm-hmm. political power. Mm-hmm. So being the supreme ruler who protects is, you know, the head of the people or representative of the people and would go out and lead the army in protecting the realm. Right. Well, and we can see that uh, in the story of... Saul and David, Mm -hmm. Saul would get so angry because the people would be chanting the praises of David, saying that David had slain thousands and Saul only hundreds. And that angered Saul Mm -hmm. because he wanted to be seen as um, as though he had more political king. prowess yeah. and that he had more of a conquering ability. It just showed how mighty you were. Mm-hmm. The, the greater the enemy you could protect your people from showed how strong of a king you were. Mm-hmm. And then there's also the aspect of like dominion and authority. Well, this is like your law. Like you uphold mm-hmm. and execute the law of your land. Like this bit of land belongs to me mm-hmm. and I get to rule it as I wish. Mm-hmm. And right. when Jesus was being crucified and he was in the midst of being put under trial and all those things, yeah. the people, the Jews were asked, why, why don't you want your king? Here's yeah. your Here's your king. And they said, he's not our king. We only have King Caesar. So we see that type of role in this kingship of they wanted to be lorded over by Lord Caesar, by King Caesar, not by Jesus. Yeah. So even as Israel initially rejects God's plan for kingship and they want a king on their own terms, once again, it happened which with the Jews. Which didn't which did, end well. Yeah, which gave them Saul. And then again, when Jesus was being put on trial, they rejected him again. Which doesn't as end king. well because Jerusalem's destroyed in 70 AD. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But it's like this, that same pattern over and over and over again. We just can never seem to get it right, I guess. Right. And in okay. a very dispensational Christian church, we still can't get it right, can we? Nope. <laughs> we still don't see him as we, king. <laughs> yeah, that's true, huh? That's kind of scary. Mm-hmm. Think about judgment. Why is that scary? That Davidic dynasty. Yes. So there's so much we could go into a Davidic dynasty. I actually recommend to everyone O. Palmer Robertson's book called Christ of the Covenants. And his section on the Davidic covenant is huge and thorough. It is just really good. I think one of the one of the most awesome things he pointed out was when you promise a dynasty, you're promising that a son will rule. Mm-hmm. So when he told David, your line will rule here, that foreshadowed the son of God ruling. Mm-hmm. And so we see these little snippets of how Jesus fulfills the Davidic covenant by being the son of God who rules all things. And Jesus being eternal would fulfill that covenant eternally then. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Some people argue with the everlasting terminology with the Davidic covenant because nobody was ruling during a period of time Mm -hmm. until Jesus came. But it just points to shadow and substance. Like Mm -hmm. it was just 
a foreshadowing of that everlasting rule that was to come. So if that Davidic covenant was that there would always be someone on David's throne to mm-hmm. rule as king, when we see, especially at Christmas time, which is coming up very quickly here, yeah. all of the prophecies about, you know, to you a son is given and he shall be ruler and... Um, we're going to talk about Isaiah 11, yeah. 1. Which, and, and in 9 also. Yeah. This root or shoot of Jesse. Yeah. Who is Jesse? Because now if you're not following, <laughs> if you're not following lineage, you're thinking, okay, I got like the, the Davidic covenant down, but Jesse, who is Jesse? Jesse was David's father. Right. So it's really just taking it back one generation prior to David. Jesse was David's That's father. That's common terminology in the Bible is to talk right. the son of this person. But that can be very confusing if you're not oh, following yeah, the patterns sure. of generations. So yeah, Jesse was <laughs> David's father. And so to be to come from the root or the shoot of Jesse really is talking about David because David came from Jesse. Yeah. Well, verse one just says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. And here we see his ruling. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what he, by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth, and he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth to rule by his word. Mm-hmm. And with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. So it just shows his judgment and his rule according to righteousness and according to his Mm -hmm. word. And that's going to come from the shoot of Jesse. Right. Once again, tying it all back together that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. Yeah, we see in the genealogies in the Gospels how Jesus came uh, from the kingly line of David. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is awesome that we have those genealogies preserved for us. Almost like, you know, God had a hand in it. (laughs) Almost like God controls history. Hmm. Romans 1, I always thought was important. Paul points out in verse 3, concerning his son, says Jesus, who was descended from David according to the flesh. So Mm -hmm. Paul just puts that in there as well, that he is descended from David. Mm -hmm. Because it almost gives him that little bit of credibility, you know? Mm -hmm. It's like Jesus' street cred. Exactly. So, if we see all this evidence of Jesus descending from the Davidic covenant and this this line that was promised to continue forever, Mm -hmm. when Jesus was put forth on trial and the Jews rejected him as Jesus, and still do to this day, the Jews still don't see Jesus as As the the Messiah Messiah at all. Why is it that the Jews then and now continue to reject Jesus as king? They were looking for the wrong thing. They were expecting a king to come and conquer by sword and spear. They were expecting Jesus to start a revolution Mm -hmm. and just revolt against Rome and overthrow Caesar and all. That's why they missed the boat. They had ignored Psalm 22 Isaiah 53, which are prophecies that this Messiah was going to have to suffer before he received his glory Mm -hmm. and that he would win by losing, essentially. Yeah, that wasn't what they saw. No. And you see Paul mentioning this and Peter mentioning this in their letters and in Acts. You guys, the Messiah had to suffer first and then enter into his glory. That's still their hang up today. Mm-hmm. Uh, ben Shapiro was on CrossPolitik and they asked him, isn't the isn't Jesus being the Messiah compelling? Or they asked him, 
what was what's not compelling? And he said, the Messiah isn't going to die. The whole hangup is that he he suffered and died. Yeah. To conquer, not with sword and spear. And once again, just like the Jews rejected God's idea of like a godly kingship, godly rules for kingship, mm-hmm. and they wanted a king on their own terms, and they requested for Saul to be their king. Yeah. And that ended in disaster. So also the Jews now and even then rejected Jesus as king and they got and they or they wanted Caesar as as Lord. They wanted yeah. Caesar as king. And they got Caesar as king and we all know how that went. Yeah. Equally as disastrous. Yeah. AD seventy, Jerusalem was destroyed. Their temple was destroyed. Yeah. And the Jews were scattered to the four winds. Instead of them having a conquering king in Caesar, he mm-hmm. He essentially ordered the desolation of their yeah. temple, their holiest of places. Yeah. Which isn't that funny how when we get what we think we want, what it ends up doing in the end is destroy. Mm-hmm. For any of you out there, if you've not been listening very long or very closely, you got to know that Rebel Alliance Media is post-mill. We're all about that post-mill. We're all about that post-mill. What is post-millennialism in a nutshell? Um, Post-millennialism in a nutshell is that Jesus will return after the millennial age which is not an exact thousand years. It's now, it started when Jesus rose from the dead. I think maybe some people will disagree when it exactly started, but essentially it started during the time of Jesus, whether at the Lord's Supper or resurrection or something like that. Mm -hmm. And that began the new heavens and new earth. It began the new age that was prophesied about. And from that time until Jesus comes back, the knowledge of the Lord will continually grow and cover the whole world as the waters cover the sea, and that the increase of Jesus' rule will have no end. And just like the parables, like the rebels are going through, and some of them, it it will talk about leaven getting and working its way through a whole lump of dough, and it will grow. So post-millennialism is often just marked by an optimistic view of the Great Commission Mm -hmm. from Jesus' time until the end of the age. And then Jesus will come back, destroy the last enemy, which is death. Everyone is raised, you know, all... The resurrection happens, and then we enter into the eternal state. So that's... And because we're living in the millennial time right now, mm-hmm. we believe Jesus is already ruling as king. Right. And that's what would mark post-millennialists different than even optimistic amillennialists, is that Jesus' rule and reign is here on earth now. Mm-hmm. And we, we're going to talk about like a little bit of biblical evidence of mm-hmm. why we believe that to be true, because... Right. Scripture clearly states that it is this way. Yeah, um, it does clearly. <laughs> <laughs> and if you want right now, we can just jump into that. Let's go into Revelation 5. Okay. Let's start in verse 1 and read. Okay, so Revelation 5, 1 says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah The root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. So obviously this person who's at the right hand of the throne Mm -hmm. is Jesus. There's numerous times in the New Testament that refer to Jesus now, right now, 
currently being seated at the right hand of the throne. And Psalms 110, which is a messianic psalm, says in verse 1, The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Sit at my right hand. Mm -hmm. It's often said this is God's favorite Bible verse. Because mm -hmm. Psalm 110 is the most commonly quoted verse. And so obviously we see Jesus is placed in a position of rule and authority right now. And it has to be this way unless you think that Jesus is not currently at the Father's right hand. Right. If you believe that Jesus is at the Father's right hand, which if you don't believe that you're rejecting a large portion of the New yeah. Testament. Right. But if he's there, then what is he doing? He's been given the title deed to earth. Mm -hmm. He alone is worthy to open that scroll and assume back his dominion. Exactly. After Jesus rose from the dead, the Great Commission starts with, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Psalm 2, a messianic psalm, or in Psalm 2, which is a messianic psalm, God said to the Son, Ask of me and I will give the nations as your heritage and I will give all the earth as your possession. I will give it all to you. It's yours. And so now Jesus is saying... Well, that's exactly what yeah. Satan tempted Jesus with, right? Exactly. That's exactly what the temptation was. If you just bow down and worship me, you don't have to die. Right. I'll just give you the nations. Mm -hmm. Because that was all along what Jesus was coming for. And that's exactly what was promised to him all along. So Satan's temptation to Jesus was a real temptation because it was the goal all along. Right. But again, the reason why that wasn't how it was going to happen was because he had to suffer to then enter into his glory. Exactly. And Which is what the Jews didn't glory. like. The Jews right. didn't like that part. They were like Satan. <laughs> they didn't want the Messiah <laughs> to suffer. Aren't we all? Aren't True. we all? In Psalm 110 verse 2, the Lord sends forth from Zion, which is the Lord's holy mountain, and that's where his throne is, that's where he sends forth your mighty scepter. So he's giving Jesus rule. It says rule in the midst of your enemies. Mm -hmm. So some people say, okay, yes, Jesus is ruling. It's in heaven and in Christians' hearts. That's where he's ruling. And then when he comes back, he'll rule everything else. My question to those people, which was me at one point, is how then does he rule in the midst of enemies? Yeah, because the enemies are all done away with. Right? At that point, yeah. If it's when he comes back, there's no enemies. Because you're believing that they're already punished, they've already faced judgment. Yeah. And if he's ruling just in heaven, there's no enemies there. Mm -hmm. And then in Christian hearts, there's no enemies there. They're his people. Mm -hmm. So again, this this was eye-opening to me to go, well, look, he's ruling in an in a area where people aren't all obeying him. Yeah. And that's what the gospel is. The gospel is a call to repent and bow the knee to your king. Because mm -hmm. right now you're being a rebellious subject. Mm -hmm. So that's that's the picture of Jesus' kingship right now that we have given yeah. to us in the Bible. Yeah. And really what this is, it's just a retelling of the cultural mandate in Genesis. Yeah. Where Adam exactly. failed to create flourishing in a garden. We now are given back the title deed that Adam lost mm -hmm. back in the garden. He couldn't fulfill that. He couldn't obey perfectly. Jesus comes, takes the deed back and says, all right, Adam lost this. I got it now. So continue on. I am now Lord of the nations. I'm king of the nations. Go therefore make disciples of all those nations that are given to me as my inheritance mm -hmm. and call them to repentance. To continue on with fulfilling and doing what Adam did not do, 1 Corinthians 15 picks up on this and talks about how Christ is better than Adam. And mm -hmm. 
It says explicitly in there, verse 23 to 27, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Talking about the resurrection. So verse 24, then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. When does Jesus hand the kingdom over to God the Father? That's when the resurrection happens, when he returns. That's not when he gets his kingdom. Mm -hmm. When he returns is when he gives it back. Yeah. And it says that he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. That's what's happening right now before Jesus comes back at the end. Mm -hmm. The premillennial mindset is that we're waiting for Jesus to come back and set up his kingdom here on earth. That just hermeneutically, I don't know how it doesn't you ever follow. Get there. None and of I it just follows. I feel like, man, how did I ever believe this? It's because for me personally, I was ignorant. Like I didn't connect yeah, I mean, I the dots. Yeah. There were all these dots and all these little verses that I knew, but I never stopped and actually connected them, you yeah. know? It was just all these random dots. Revelation was a blur. A lot of Old Testament prophecy was a blur. I didn't connect covenants to the new covenant. Like none of it really was very cohesive. Yeah. So when we were you and I were both studying all of this and covenant theology is really great for connecting dots. Yes. <laughs> Telling you, it's the gateway drug. It really is. Yeah, I mean, it's an incredible hermeneutic because it principle. connects the dots, right? And it yeah. helps you to understand what pictures actually being drawn for you, and you start to see how many errors there are, and just how ignorant you are. And trust me, I have a very long way to go. To and I've got a lot of dots to keep Amen. connecting. I'm not trying to me sound too. haughty by any means. But when you do start seeing those dots being connected, it's so fun and it's so encouraging because you feel like. Maybe I can get this. Maybe I can understand what God's word says. Maybe I don't have to be afraid of those scary Old Testament prophets or revelation or what have you. Exactly. And I think for me, it was just not taking stuff straightforward too. There's a lot of passages and even like the parables, we find these weird ways to interpret them to fit our odd hermeneutic over here mm -hmm. rather than just taking it straightforward. Jesus says, hey, this is like the kingdom. It's going to grow. And like, why don't we just take that at face value? Well, because we're not taught hermeneutics anyway. We're not taught how to actually interpret scripture, yeah. how to read our Bibles. We're not taught that like not all scripture should be taken literally, mm -hmm. you know, like especially portions that say yeah. don't take this literally. <laughs> well, and that means according to the literature it is. Yeah, take it literally, <laughs> literally, but not literally. Yeah. Like, so... Certain types of um, metaphors or exactly. similes, you can't read that literally, you know? Yeah. Well, and after getting into the covenant theology and realizing how the, the whole Bible is interwoven together, now you go read Revelation 5 and see how it's talking about, and no one was found who had authority in heaven and earth. And you go, wait, it's talking about the Great Commission. Because Jesus said, I have authority in heaven and earth. Then it shows you the one, the root of Jesse, who now opens the scroll and has this authority. So you're like, oh, it's talking about... Well, and no one could get back the title to earth. No one could do that. Yeah. Only Jesus could do that. Right. But for some reason, you think when you're reading Revelation from a pre-mill standpoint, mm -hmm. like, good thing Jesus is around. We really, right. this, this earth is just going to hell in a handbasket. Yeah. But you're like, wait, didn't Jesus already... Get that title to you? Didn't he, didn't he say it was finished? 
Mm-hmm. So why are we thinking he's going to conquer something else? Right. I, I just, I don't understand. It doesn't yeah. make any sense. It helps a lot to realize how the Bible is connected. Another aspect of this rule of Jesus is it gives us motivation in the Great Commission. Mm-hmm. It actually gives us this motivation to go out knowing that Jesus has given us this power and authority under him mm-hmm. to, and it's a promise. to go and conquer enemies. Yeah. And Matthew 16, after Peter makes his grand admission that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus says, you're blessed. Uh, Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. And in verse 18, he says, I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That means the church is supposed to be charging the gates of hell. We're the ones on the offense. Yeah, we're the ones running into the gates of hell. Yeah. But like so much of American Christianity is watch the news, hunker down, you know, stalk the basement, like crap is going to hit the fan. And Can you say that on a reform podcast? I just did. Crap is going to hit the fan. I think the rebels have said pissed before, haven't they? Well, if they haven't, you have now. Mm. I'm pretty sure I've said that before. (laughs) If there are listeners in other countries, like certain words are like very offensive in other countries. And there's like words that are offensive here mm-hmm. that I know in other countries for Christians and anyone, it's not at all. Yeah. So if, it's a, if that's offensive to you, sorry, it's not offensive in New Forgive York City. Me. Forgive me in my Or at least mouth. in the Van Brimmer household. Yeah. Can we make up our own rules? Does it work that way? Um, according to conscience. That sounds very Piper-esque of you. Um, I'm going to get back to talking about the Bible. Okay. But the the opposite is true for what Christians are supposed to be doing. We are supposed to be actively charging the gates of hell, you know? Mm-hmm. And Jesus even promises, um, and they won't they prevail. Won't prevail. You. Mm-hmm. Like, you'll get through. You will get through eventually. Mm-hmm. Why aren't, you know, why we don't think that way. We need to start thinking that way. And this is what I love so much about post-mill hermeneutics is not only do I believe it's just more biblically faithful, but it has provided me with a greater motivation for the Great Commission, a more consistent motivation for the Great Commission. Mm-hmm. We are so thankful for all those who are not post-mill that are still trying to fulfill the Great Commission. Yeah. I'm very thankful for those people. So many people might even think about this charging the gates of hell and taking Jesus' authority and going, winning the nations and taking back the nations and how this applies how this rule of Jesus applies to every area of life, politics, economics, education, church, arts. Jesus rules everything and everything should be brought under his rule. And I think some people get scared and go, wait a minute, we don't want Christians going out and like blowing up abortion clinics or going crazy like that. And that's where I go, no, no, no. It's by the gospel. Mm -hmm. The gospel is how we win the nation. Remember, Jesus won by sacrificing himself. Right. He wasn't the conquering king like the Jews expected. So if we're going to follow in his footsteps, it's not going to be in those types by those types of methods that we win. Yeah. And I think the story of David and Goliath was foreshadowing how the church was supposed to defeat its enemies underneath Jesus' rule. And in verse 47 of 1 Samuel 17, it says, and that all the assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. Like David was saying, this is to show that God doesn't save by what we normally think. Mm -hmm. And the Jews missed it. 
right? They were expecting sword, sword and, spear. and spear. Yeah. The church doesn't need to go down that route. It's by the power of the gospel that people are changed and nations are changed. Churches are changed. Hearts are changed. Communities are changed. Yeah. It's through heart change. Mm-hmm. And we don't do that with sword and spear. No. So we do that by sharing the gospel. So Jesus is king. Jesus is king right now <laughs> on earth. And a lot of people are not obeying their king. Listen, we had our kids memorize Psalm 110 over the summer. Mm-hmm. And we memorized it with them because, you know. Mm-hmm. Don't they, even ask me to say it now. We have little kids. <laughs> so whenever they memorize something, it basically requires us to go right along with them. Right. But when we first started teaching it to them, our kids were like, I don't get what this means. Mm -hmm. So we actually like got out one of our big mirrors and a a dry erase pen. And we were like marking it all up and teaching this to our kids, like what Psalm 110 actually means. Mm -hmm. And you'd be surprised what kids can understand if you break it down to their level. But as they were learning it, they also understood what it meant and it was cool for us because we had never really like delved into Psalm 110 and mm-hmm. Jesus's kingship and what that means. And if you haven't done that, go do that like right now, like time now. Yeah, it was a very rich thing to do with them. Yeah. Very encouraging. For us as well. I mean, yeah. obviously, we always hope that our kids will be raised with a theologically sound understanding of scripture. Mm-hmm. But... For us, this is part of us renewing our minds, too. Yeah. Because we've been taught a lot of really bad doctrine. <laughs> it's true. We're, like, learning as they're, as we're teaching them. Yeah. So, as we're teaching them, like, our minds are being renewed. And exactly. we're actually digging in and seeing um, how Jesus is king right now. And he has been given the nations. And that mm-hmm. does motivate us to share the gospel. And where Adam failed, Jesus didn't. Right. He is yeah, the perfect fulfillment of... The office of king as the second Adam. That's good. So this is our conclusion. Yeah. And you know, this this whole thing was for all of us to grow in our understanding of Christology mm-hmm. and just understanding our mediator. Mm-hmm. He's prophet, priest, and king. He is the word of God um, bringing us the word of God. And he sacrificed himself and offers up his blood for an eternal redemption, mm-hmm. and now rules us in our hearts by renewing our hearts and rules us by his law and will conquer all of our enemies as our king and protect us and hold us for eternity. And that is the Munis Triplex, Jesus as prophet, priest, and king. I hope you enjoyed it. Did you have fun doing it? <laughs> yes. This was, this was fun. I mean, anytime we can talk about eschatology is always kind of fun. Well, that's true too. So this one was particularly fun. If there is something you disagreed with or... Just repent. ...need clarification on, or if you have any questions of us, comment, please, and we would be more than happy to answer them. We'll be more than happy to tag Nate Wright in your comment. Yep. (laughs) Or we will just comment a link to the Eschatology series on (laughs) rebelitesmedia.com. No, 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 no. Nate's (laughs) down to earth. He'll answer them. Well, that's true, too. (laughs) No, they don't need to be shoved off to a teaching series. They don't answer it. <laughs> That's awesome. But no, we'd love to uh, answer your questions. And so we hope this was an encouraging series. We hope that you benefited from it and that it was edifying. We pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened by the power of the Spirit through Jesus Christ. And until next time, get woke. Yeah.
Let's start with the microphone check. One, two, first. Water to the dry and weary soul of the true church. The kind of things that few search. They say that the truth hurts. Well, this pain is gain, so let's explain the new birth. First things first, can't neglect us at the start. I must preface my remarks with the deadness of the heart. From original sin, the effects of the fall. The sin of our first parents brought death to us all. Since Adam was our federal head, what he did counted for us. In him were all rebels and dead. Yo, captured in the mind, disaster, sin and crimes in a dark state. Alaska in the wintertime, sour in our frames. Left to ourselves, we be devoured in the flames. Cause we're powerless to change. If you feel that way, I pray that you respond happily. As you see what Jesus had to say in John chapter 3. Verse 1 is my thesis, it's the deepest Truth that should get you speechless What scripture teaches will fill in the missing pieces Picture Jesus meeting up with Nicodemus Perhaps it was fright about the other Pharisees Wicked spite against Christ that turned this into naked night He called the rabbi and gave him props Said he was a teacher from God Jesus replied, made him stop Regarding the kingdom of God, no one's going in In fact, you can't even see it unless you're born again That must have consumed and stretched his mind Cause he said, can a man enter his mother's womb a second? Time? Naturalistically, the only way for him to hear it Jesus said you must be born of the water and the spirit No other way to enter heaven That sounds like Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27 In this new birth, the spirit is the source and the agent The water symbolizes spiritual purification Flesh can only produce flesh, that's true and factual Regenerating work of the spirit is supernatural It's kind of like the wind, which is free East to west can't perceive the steps You can only see its effects In the same way the Holy Spirit chooses who he pleases to sovereignly open their eyes to the truth of Jesus. For the spirit's mysterious operation uh-huh. We will all be under serious condemnation I'd still be rejecting the sun If God hadn't said let there be light Like Genesis 1 yeah. And just like the light could not refuse to shine Irresistible grace has renewed my mind Let's exalt the king who died and truly is risen The new birth is not the effect of human decision But the cause It changes our natural habitation and situation It's a radical transformation I was cursed and polluted So my dirt was inexcusable With new internal his person is beautiful, his worth is indisputable The land is amazing, a standing ovation for his work in the crucible So let us respond with true worship and love To the God who has given new birth from above Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.